Welcome to Barn Keys Preachers Podcast. I'm Pastor Victoria Larson. And I'm Pastor Emily Truby Weller. And we are here to talk about some preaching texts. And today we are going to talk about Ash Wednesday. It's coming. It is Ash Wednesday, February 17th, I believe. You're right. Yeah, because it was the Valentine's Day thing was happening weirdly close to Ash Wednesday this year. Yes. We just had a year where they fell on the same day, didn't we? We did. Yeah. A couple of years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I feel like the very first thing to talk about for Ash Wednesday in this, as the global pandemic continues, um, is how, how Ash Wednesday is going to work with the ashes part of things. Yes. Yeah. The logistics this year, it's going to be different. Definitely going to be be different. And especially... For congregations who are worshiping only virtually, but also just for congregations that might be in person, but are trying to maintain some sort of social distancing, like the traditional imposition of ashes is going to be different or impossible to do. My, um, my colleague was joking that he's going to get like a, like a pool cue that he dips (laughs) in in ashes and has everyone stand back and do them that way. That no, is absolutely I don't think brilliant. He, I don't think he was serious though. That, that would be a lot of black <laughs> eyes, which would be yeah, a definite yes. reminder. <laughs> oh man, that's good. Oh, well, I mean, we're sitting here, we're recording this episode in early February. So it's really hard to know what, um, what the pandemic is going to look like in a month and a half. And mm-hmm. it's going to be different depending on where you are in the country. So, um, the conversation that we have now and the ideas that we offer now may well have changed and evolved and they may fit in one context and not in another. So um, yeah. that caveat just thrown in there. <laughs> <laughs> what are some ideas that uh, your context is talking about, Em, aside from pool cues? Yeah, well, yeah, aside from the pool cues, um, we've really only began conversations around this. Um, but some of my thinking has gone into if there are other parts, uh, other traditional Lenten practices that we might be able to rely on mm. if you cannot do ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, we think about the Lenten practices of fasting and almsgiving and prayer. Um, are there ways to build those into your liturgical practice or into your worship at home or your virtual worship in a more significant way? than maybe you have in previous years, um, ways that might then continue throughout the Lenten season. Um, Maybe is there a bigger focus on communal confession on this particular Ash Wednesday with a little bit of a a beefed up confession in the liturgy um, to have people participate on in whether you're virtually or in person together. Um, So I was just kind of thinking around those other pieces of worship that can be especially impactful on Ash Wednesday and how we might rely more fully on them if you cannot uh, do imposition of ashes Mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. I think that's like the perfect way to go with this. And I I think that's sort of what we hope happens. But like for me, the question of logistics this year really drives me toward what the meaning of the ashes is in the first place and uh, helping a congregation unpack that liturgically. Even if you don't have the symbol itself, you certainly have its meaning. So it sounds like you're really starting to tease that out with the focus on those three disciplines that are especially important during the Lenten season of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Yeah, and maybe maybe just to take a 
a little step back because I know we might have friends and colleagues that are going to do some sort of imposition of ashes or Mm -hmm. um, for whom that feels like a really central practice that they can't let go of in their context. Um, And I know people have gotten really creative during this pandemic with ways to provide Holy Communion with ways to do the Eucharist. So I'm sure there are creative ways to do ashes too. Um, I don't know if it's possible to pass out ashes for, you know, like little containers that people can take home and do imposition of ashes within their, their bubble or their household. Um, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if this is a theological question. Can you impose your own ashes? What do you think, Victoria? Oh, that's such a good question. (laughs) I certainly don't think you run into the same theological issues that we do around communion. Yeah. That's nice. Um, but yeah, I've been thinking about that myself because I live as a single person and I have also been thinking about the idea of like putting together Lent kits, but I imagine that one of the things that we would put in those Lenten kits would be a tiny little bit of ash that you could impose on Ash Wednesday. But how do you do that if you're a single person? Mm -hmm. I don't have a good answer to that question yet. (laughs) I feel like it would be weird to, yeah. Oh, the place where my brain just went was like, what did people do in Jesus' time with ashes, right? Because there was a whole practice of sackcloth and ashes. Yes. Were they imposing their own ashes? I, I, I mean, I, what my brain first went to was Job, right? And he's right? like pretty much alone and he's sitting there in sackcloth and ashes. I would guess that he put those ashes on himself. He totally did. I don't have this Bible scripture in front of me, but I can't picture any of his friends doing that for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That when was not their vibe. Up, no, they're not super into that. So. No, no. <laughs> it's like a so, verse. Yeah. There is a verse. There, it makes me want to look it up, but I will refrain because that will be a rabbit hole that we may not come back from. Yes. yes. <laughs> but that's um, true. I think there would be a biblical precedent for imposing your own ashes. Yeah, so. I think that's where I'm arriving through this conversation. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like I feel like that's okay. I do mm-hmm. in my brain there's like this little voice that wants to be a mother someday that's like you have to tell them not to mix it with water though. Don't let them mix it with water. I read that on a blog. Okay, <laughs> that you're supposed to mix it with water and I'm like no no no. No. Listeners, don't mix ashes with water. It makes a caustic substance. Don't do it. Olive oil, olive oil all the way. Yeah. It makes a really gross sludge. It'll be perfect for Lent. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's another really decent way to go is to equip people to impose ashes at home Mm -hmm. on themselves or on others. I've got to say, I will, as a pastor, really miss the imposition of ashes this year. Yeah. For yeah. me, that's such a holy, sacred, like tender thing to be tracing that cross on people's foreheads and be speaking those words. You came yes. from dust and to dust you shall return. Um, yeah. How does that moment feel for you, Em? Yeah, I will definitely miss that. And I think, um, you know, we, we, as a society, we don't like to talk about mortality a lot. And this mm-hmm. is one of those clear moments where the church stands up and says, nope, we're all going to die. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that sounds comical. I think it's also, it's, it's, um, it's important. And it's, it's an important witness to bear that this, this life is a finite one. Um, and that in some way that only makes things more holy. And it, it reminds me of, you know, like, 
um, get, putting ashes on my son's forehead, you know, mm. for the first time when he was maybe four to five months old, um, oh. and then moving right to the next person. I think a lot of pastors have had this experience, right? You put ashes on the head of a, of a baby or a toddler or a kid, and then you move to the next person in line who might be in their eighties or nineties. And, and, you know, in that moment that there are people you're reminding of their mortality, whose funeral you'll perform within the next year before the next Ash Wednesday comes around. And oh my gosh. there's something really heavy and sacred to that moment. So I know I'll miss it too. Yeah. I really hope that if, if congregations, specifically mine, especially mine, end up going in that direction of sending ashes home, that people have get to have a taste of that experience at home, because that's so powerful. That's true. It might be a way of sharing that experience too. You know, we, and maybe, maybe a lay assisting minister are the ones that usually get to do that. So maybe we're sharing the experience with others and giving them the chance to have that experience yeah. at home. Yeah. Oh, this is a, this is a segue, but I do remember when I was serving as a chapel minister back in seminary, I had a really, a, a protracted conversation <laughs> with the Dean of Chapel because I was planning Ash Wednesday, um, whether it was okay to have a non-ordained person impose ashes. Oh. She came from an Anglican background and I, we come from a Lutheran background, mm -hmm. ELCA, and um, we were in very different places on that. So wow. just like a caveat that, you know, read the fine print in yes. his worship documents. Absolutely. Um, I, Absolutely. I'm not, a, the, I, I did this back in <laughs> that situation, but um, Lutheran leadership manuals and documents and liturgies are like carefully silent on this question, <laughs> which is a thing I think our church does when it doesn't want to commit itself to an opinion. Totally. Yeah. We're pretty good at that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, theological caveat there. Um, your comment about the mortality piece launches me into the next point I wanted to go toward. And I feel like this conversation about ideas for Ash Wednesday could definitely go on for a much longer time. Yes. <laughs> but perhaps we could just drop into this podcast an invitation to people who are listening to like um, go to Barn Goose Worship's Facebook page or Instagram or uh, the website itself and contact us about what ideas your context is doing. And we'll Please do our best. Do. Yeah, we'll herd those together and share them with you um, in a way that I have yet to invent because this is all new. But I would love to hear what other churches are up to as well. Yes, please share. Yeah. All right. So you talked about mortality and about how that's sort of this promise that we hear on Ash Wednesday. And that directs us into this wonderful preaching arc that you, Emily Truby Weller, identified <laughs> at last year's preaching camp. Um, and that I think we're going to run with for, uh, for Barn Goose's Ash Wednesday series, sorry, Lent series. <laughs> um, and the series we're going with is called Promise Us. And it's a way of exploring all of the different promises that we hear. Not all, it's not an exhaustive list, but uh, using those promises that God gives us as guideposts throughout the Lenten season. Um, so that brings us to the question of what's the promise we hear on Ash Wednesday? And Em, I think you answered that brilliantly. <laughs> we got that, a promise that we're gonna die that's a good one to start with really that's, on a high note <laughs> really what people want to hear right after 2020 <laughs> right and like that, I've, I was thinking about that too as I was sort of putting the series yeah. notes together of like man this is going to be really heavy during COVID it is yeah sorry I guess right. the spirit was guiding us into 
into some heavy considerations for this Lent. Absolutely. But also I think like we don't, we, we need it now more than ever. We need to have robust conversations about what death is and what it looks like and what it means for us as a people of God in this season when it feels really closer than often it does and more undeniable, I think, than it often does. Yes. yes. So you have that opportunity on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> um, and I think for, as it, thinking with a preacher's brain, Mm -hmm. The place where I would find my way into that is by actually talking about the ashes, whether or not you're actually using them in your worship service, and no matter how that looks like, um, talking about the meaning behind the ashes, the meaning behind the rite, I think is a great way to invite people into that contemplation of what mortality means and what mortality means to the people of God. Um, and as a preacher, the place where I always want to end up is like, what is God doing about that? What's God up to mm -hmm. in our community? What What is scripture telling us about where God is showing up? And for me, it's the Matthew text is not as helpful as it could be in this moment. Although Jesus does have this one lovely line where he talks about how where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, which pushes us kind of beyond mortality to more mm -hmm. like everlastingness. Um, but the question of where God shows up in that promise, someday you will die, for me, is that we worship the God who chose to die. Yeah, we're working towards that piece of the story throughout the whole coming season then. Absolutely, yeah. So this is your bookend. This is the mm -hmm. like Ash Wednesday, Palm Passion Sunday bookend. It's one big arc. So that's one possible preaching direction you could take is exploring the reality of death and what God chooses to do about it through the person of Jesus Christ. Um, that could be a beautiful, powerful witness and a, one that connects you to what's going to happen at the end of this 40 day season. I really love that. And then I think as we kind of look at that as the bookends, the other promises that we'll come to explore throughout the season are kind of guideposts along, along the way then between those, those two points between yeah. talking about our mortality and then and then Jesus choice to to join us in that mortality. Yes. I'm possible tangent. Um <laughs> doing this for myself so when I go back to edit I'll be like eh, okay. <laughs> so one of the things that started happening for me as I unpacked those five promises that stand between Ash Wednesday and Palm Passion Sunday is um I started to see God as this character who was developing over time. Because, um, right, you get the first promise that's, it's the flood promise. So you start out with this God who is like, death is the solution. <laughs> like, yes. Does a really terrifying thing and like basically chooses to start over. And then as time passes, like the generations go on, God makes different choices. God makes choices that brings God more deeply into relationship with humankind even when humankind consistently fails and does not live up to God's expectation until yeah. finally you get to a point where you have a God who's like, y'all don't have any responsibility for your own salvation anymore. I'm just, yeah. I got this. <laughs> you blew it. You clearly can't handle this. <laughs> I've exactly. got it. <laughs> exactly. But it's that I've got it that like, I love you so much that regardless yeah. of all of this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm coming in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, so. or as you also put it poetically on the website, God says dibs. <laughs> <laughs>
dibs on you and all your mess and all of what you are and who you are. Yep. I know who you are and I call dibs. Exactly. <laughs> That's so freaking beautiful. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, all right. And that's also, I think, a good pivot point toward um, toward another preaching possibility that I heard you bring up as you were talking about the option of focusing on those Lenten disciplines, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the prayer, the fasting, and the almsgiving. Yeah. Um, I never realized this before, and I am ashamed. Oh, no. But gosh darn it. <laughs> the gospel lays out those three Lenten disciplines. Did you know that? I, I did. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to brag, (laughs) but I had noticed that. I I don't know why I've never noticed it before. (laughs) I don't know. I've only, I think it stuck with me because I preached on it, you know, a couple of years ago. So at least once that stood out to me. (laughs) That probably helps. But yeah, the gospel text can be an entry point to talking about those Lenten practices. (laughs) Uh, do you want to talk about how you did it a few years ago or how you might Gosh, do it again this can year? Can I remember? Well, I think, you know, fasting is, is one that sometimes gets boiled down to the what are you giving up for Lent question, mm. um, and which, um, you know, some people choose to take on, some, some churches decide to encourage more than others. Um, and some people decide to adopt something new for Lent rather than giving something up. But it almost seems to um, contradict the gospel's message of, of these practices kind of happening in private and kind of happening um, within a context of humility if we're like loudly sharing everything that we might be giving up or taking on for Lent. So um, I, you know, I'm just constantly trying to think of new ways to engage, especially that practice of fasting. Um, and I'm wondering if there might be a different track than the traditional give something up for Lent. I I have friends who literally fast, um, during parts of the Lenten season, Mm -hmm. um, especially Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are times when I can think that folks I know do that. And of course, you know, we have a lot to learn from other religious traditions. I think of Muslim friends who, um, have a very rich practice of, of fasting. So, uh, if, if you want to go all in on sort of the, the ancient and literal meaning of a fast, there's resources to do that there. Um, I wonder if we could fast from, from certain behaviors during Lent. Um, Actually, I think that's a crucial part of fasting. Like it's not just a matter of taking something away. It's yeah. It's making room for something else. It's not only emptying, it's Mm -hmm. filling with something meaningful. Right. So if, if you are fasting from food, from a habit, from, you know, a harmful practice in your life, um, then that space could be filled by new spiritual practices, by, by almsgiving and prayer. It's the, the three can kind of work together in that way. Yes. Oh, I'm <laughs> glad you're bringing this up because um, I'm working on a Lenten devotional. If you haven't seen it because I'm writing it right now, but um, I, I'm sort of structuring it on a weekly basis and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to suggest a different kind of prayer, uh, fast and act of giving for each week. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's been really kind Perfect. of fun because it's giving me the opportunity to make those things go together. Um, mm-hmm. 
so uh, for Ash Wednesdays, I would talk about like the traditional kind of fasting where you fast from food or you fast from a particular kind of food. Um, but then that makes room for a practice of giving where perhaps you donate to your local food charity. Oh, that's um, lovely. Yeah. yeah. So you can make those things play off of each other. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think the more that those practices work together, you know, there's a reason I think that Jesus and other, you know, he's not the first one to do it, that those three practices are kind of named together for us as, um, as possible ways to express piety. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they are a formative practice. Yes. Mm, I love it. <laughs> the challenge of preaching about the disciplines, and I'm curious about you, how you addressed yeah. this is um where where is god in that like what's god up to in our mm -hmm. lenten devotional practices mm -hmm. i think as a preacher that's where i would turn to next yeah i think something that we might forget is the context in which this kind of teaching on prayer fasting almsgiving happens and it's within the context of the sermon on the mount oh um, yes <clears throat> So I think that can, like, given the other teachings that happen in the Sermon on the Mount, I think that can shed some light. Um, and reading the whole context of this chapter, reading the whole chapter of Matthew and kind of getting these verses in context might shed some additional light on that too. Um, but as we go back to thinking about like the bookends that you identified for us talking about our mortality on Ash Wednesday and talking about um, Jesus joining us in that mortality and especially in his death on the cross on Good Friday. The prayer and almsgiving and fasting, I think, become expressions of, of that love that's poured out to us. So um, they're not just practices that are meant for ourselves, but they're in some way practices that are meant to share the grace and love that we know. Uh, through God calling dibs on us, through God um, promising to be with us even in death, that these are actions that come out of a thankfulness for, for that presence of God that's with us even in the most difficult moments. Um, and that changes, that changes the feeling of them for me. Um, then you're not just fasting to discipline your body, which can be a good thing, um, but you're also fasting in a way that makes you more present to others that might make you um, put you somehow in service to others. And the same with almsgiving. You're not giving it for looking good in some way or um, for whatever tax break you might hope to get. <laughs> you're, you're giving <laughs> mm -hmm. because in some ways this is sharing, this is sharing the presence of God that's been shared with you. Mm. Um, so, you know, I wonder in what ways reading that whole chapter in context might continue to kind of evolve those practices for us. That's interesting. I, I have not noticed this nuance of the text before, but what you just said really brought it out for me. There is a sort of emphasis on relationship mm -hmm. in, in the in chapter six of Matthew, which, you know, Sermon of the Mount, whole thing, relationship. Um but even that first line, beware of practicing your piety before others. Mm -hmm. There's an element in this that's not just about the spiritual practice itself. It's about how you are in relationship with other people and how spiritual disciplines help you toward relationship or move you away from it. And yes. um, yeah, and coming from a highly relational God, I feel like there's a, 
a tie in there that you can walk through the rest. That's of good. I with. think, yeah, I think now we're getting to the crux of it. Um, mm. And that fits in <laughs> nicely with the promise us theme, which is all about, you know, God's relationship to us. So how are these practices of fasting, almsgiving and prayer? How are they about our relationship with God, but also about our relationship with one another? Because that is a theme we're going to hear time and again throughout Lent this year. 100%. Um, I had a thought about a a final homiletical direction I think you could take, which is just um, framing the season itself as this 40-day sort of wilderness walk with Jesus. This time is sort of Mm. meant to mirror his post-baptismal moment where the spirit drives him into the wilderness. And this um, conversation about uh, God's presence in the midst of disciplines um, makes me think about the Holy Spirit and the sanctification that we talk about sometimes as Lutherans. As, as Lutherans, I feel like we come down so much heavier on the side of justification and God's grace. And we yeah. don't do that. Yeah. We don't yeah. have a part in our own salvation. And that's like 100% true. I'm on board with it. But <laughs> I think sometimes we focus on it to the exclusion of what God does ask of us. Yeah. And especially what God asks of us and invites us into through our baptisms. Mm-hmm. So seeing these this like challenge of uh, pursuing these Lenten disciplines more deeply, um, lining that up next to the story of Jesus being driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days. I think you could use the Holy Spirit to bridge those two realities. Yeah, and I know, so I I work in a Methodist con- context right now. I'm very grateful for that and I'm learning all about sanctification and uh, stuff from my new Methodist friends, but (laughs) (laughs) I know, uh, in my congregation, my colleague is planning on leading a, um, study on spiritual practices throughout the season of Lent. So that might be something to consider in your own context too. kind of talking about a different spiritual practice each week throughout Lent, um, and how that could be something, um, something new to try during Lent, but then also something to, to carry you, you know, kind of, beyond the season as well. I love it. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. so good. I feel like it's time to turn to our last piece. Yes. Are you feeling this, Em? I'm ready. Here we go. So we also wanted to take a moment in this podcast to talk about preaching for children, um, which let's face it, is oftentimes preaching for adults. I feel like a lot of times... <laughs> The children's sermon is my best chance to get a like little homiletical nugget in front of the whole congregation. It sure is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we wanted to talk about how would you preach Ash Wednesday to kids? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there can be a real hesitancy on the part of a lot of leaders and congregations um, to even incorporate children into an Ash Wednesday's, you know, service or worship at all. Right. I think it's important to remember that de- developmentally children are actually pretty receptive to the cycle of life and death. Um, they don't come with a lot of the baggage that we as adults have developed over the years with mortality. Um, and so this, you know, Ash Wednesday, especially if we're going to be talking about mortality this year, um, it's don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to say that in front of the kids. Don't be afraid to talk about that with the kids. Um, a lot of them have already experienced it. It's not going to be something new or novel to them. Uh, they might have lost a beloved grandparent. Um, they might have lost someone they know in the pandemic. Goodness, mm-hmm. there's a good chance of that happening. Um, they might have lost a, a dear pet, you know. 
a lot of kids have had some sort of experience of mortality of, of death at a pretty young age. And so I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to our children is to actually speak to them openly and honestly about our mortality. And of course, uh, you know, like we've kind of been saying, mortality is a really big part of our faith, right? Like Jesus comes to die for us. So if we're not going to talk about death, there is like an integral part of our faith story <laughs> that we are leaving out for children. I can remember um, in a previous congregation giving a children's message and there was a boy who was wearing actually like a gold crucifix and um, it was it was Holy Week and I had kind of done like a telling of the, the passion story with the kids from children, a children's Bible. And we end with Good Friday and with Jesus death. <laughs> this little boy who is maybe three years old, Jesus didn't die. Jesus is right here and points to the <gasps> Jesus that is literally hanging on a cross around his neck. Whoa. So <laughs> wow. there was just like such a disconnect for this poor child with like what this piece of jewelry that probably like, you know, a, a family member had given him to him as something very precious uh, and the story that we were reading. And so, um, you know, we, I, I think it's okay and even good and important to talk to kids about, about mortality and pretty clear terms. <laughs> yes. Um, and Ash Wednesday can be an opportunity to do that. Yep. There, uh, there's a book I was just trying to find and I, I cannot do it this quickly, but there is some really great books out there about how to talk about death with kids. Yeah. They're kids books that you don't have to sit there and like read a, a, a textbook about how to do this well. Um, there's some great resources out there for how to talk about the topic of death with kids. Um, I also like flashing back to my own memories of what Ash Wednesday was like when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember being fascinated with the tactile aspect of the imposition yes. of ashes. And I, I think, I, I think I understood this at an age appropriate level, but the words that go with the imposition, like from dust, you came into dust, you shall return. I, I understood what that meant. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a jumping off point too for talking about this with kids is they will recognize the ashes, they'll recognize the right if they've been to this liturgy before. And if they haven't, they're gonna need even more explanation around it. Um, but offering to let them touch the ashes and just like see what the substance is and ask like, where did this come from? What does it mean to say that we come from dust and to dust we shall return? And letting the kids like think about that with you, I think could be a really great way into this conversation. And other physical things that you could do either um, on Ash Wednesday or um, the previous Sunday with Transfiguration Sunday, you know, mm. not things I made yes. up, but the tradition of burying the Alleluia um, that, that many congregations have done where mm -hmm. you can have a big banner that says Alleluia or have children do coloring pages that say Alleluia on them and sort of tuck them away until Easter, maybe have a special box they go in, or they, some congregations, I think, literally bury them in this time of, of worshiping at home or socially distant. You might have kids kind of hide them away somewhere at home to pull out again at Easter time. Um, and the Lenten tradition of making pretzels, too. If There's a Lenten tradition of making pretzels? Yeah, I never heard about this. It's right up your alley. <laughs> I'm so excited. Tell me more. Okay. Yes. So um, this sort of 
can go with the concept of fasting too, where people might have been fasting from uh, from fat or from sugar um, during the Lenten season. And so pretzels are, are sort of, uh, you know, a simple food, right? They're simple ingredients that go into them. And so this was a food that, that was traditionally made uh, during certain times in Europe during Lent. And because it omitted some of those foods that people were fasting from. And then of course the little pretzel shape where it gets wrapped up can kind of have the image of arms crossed over a chest praying. Um, and so you could look up a little pretzel recipe. They're really pretty simple to make and send that home or send that out to families to maybe even try at home. Oh my gosh, pretzels are so much fun to make. And yeah. also if you are, if you like hate the kitchen, there's still a great episode of Great British Baking Show where they try to make pretzels and it's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so many ways into this. All right. Oh my gosh. I'm going to so make pretzels this year. Yeah. We got, we got an idea in there for Victoria. Too. <laughs> <I'm so excited. laughs> oh man. I, I think that gives us some really good seeds for the children's sermon. You feeling it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that draws us to the end of our time. Thanks so much for being with us this week, everybody, on the Barn Geese Preachers podcast. And if you're interested in some more resources for Lent 2021 and eventually beyond, uh, check out our website, barngeeseworship.com, and you'll find ideas there for Lent, uh, working with children and small groups, a preaching commentary, small group devotions, liturgical texts, lots of stuff. So check it out, and we'll talk to you next time. I'll praise the Lord in heaven, but oh, Jordan.